On this episode, we discuss today's lending environment. Welcome to the Investment Opportunity Podcast. We'll educate you on the latest investment trends happening in one of the hottest real estate classes, skilled nursing and seniors housing. We'll point out the risks so you can reap the rewards of investing in this growing and complex industry. And now your hosts, Ben Boland and Brandon Boland. Welcome to episode nine of the Investment Opportunity Podcast presented by Senwell Senior Investment Advisors. We are your host. I am Brandon Boland, sitting beside my twin brother and business partner, Ben Boland. And we are again presented by Senwell, which is a skilled nursing and seniors housing mergers and acquisitions advisory firm. With us on the show today, we are very excited to have Neil Gams with Housing and Healthcare Finance. And Neil is the Senior Vice President at HHC. HHC's finance is a leading HUD lender with experience and expertise to efficiently underwrite HUD-insured mortgage loans for a wide range of properties. These include multifamily housing, skilled nursing, assisted living, seniors housing, psychiatric hospitals, board and care, and acute care hospitals. And in addition, to all of that, those things, in addition to HUD lending. Neil specifically is also the co-lead of the capital advisory group that specializes in placing bridge, mez, preferred equity, and working capital loans with lenders and clients across the country. Since co-founding the group four years ago, they have closed over $2.5 billion in arranged loans. In other words, I'm going to say a dad joke, Neil, are you ready? I'm ready. Neil's doing deals. <laughs> Love Great. it. Put okay. that on your signature. Better than I thought yeah. it would be. Neil's put, th- put that on your email signature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going up. Neil, welcome to the show. We're, we're actually very excited to have you. You are our first guest um, to speak specifically on the debt side of things, and we're excited to bring your valuable content to the show today. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And that was a heck of an intro. Thank you. Uh, a lot of a lot of information that you provided. Um, but uh, that's, those are the services that we provide at HHC, um, and that's what we're involved in. I know that you mentioned, um, you know, multifamily. I, I am more involved on the healthcare side. We have a specialized team for multifamily on the HUD side. So if anybody wants to reach out, I can certainly connect them with the appropriate people. But I think today we're going to be talking about healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I know that you're also uh, attending or you have pre I don't know if we can use that as a present term these days, but you have attended a lot of the conferences we've been to as well. So I'm assuming if people are attending Nick or some of the other conferences, they can see you around at those as well. Yeah, as soon as those come back, yeah. uh, I don't know when that's going to be, but I, I was at the last Nick. I think we saw each other there, perhaps we did. And I don't know if that's where I got COVID, but I, I shortly got COVID uh, shortly thereafter. So uh, I don't know where it was, maybe on the plane on the way home. Wow. Yeah, we, we've actually heard a lot of people that have come down with COVID, COVID including myself, after that trip as well. So um, I don't know if it was California or, or what it was, something in the air out there. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad. It looks like, it looks like you're feeling well, so I'm glad that you are. You too. Yeah, Neil's Neil's also doing deals, but he's also looking good. Hey, um, Neil, (laughs) 
So today's today's lending environment is actually, you know, it's obviously a little bit different than what it was six months ago. So what are some of the specific things that you're looking at now compared to then? So what's interesting is that the lending environment is different than it was six months ago, but it's also different than it was two months ago. So what we saw six months ago was, you know, things were going great. Uh, lenders were lending. Uh, we, we were very busy both on the capital advisory side with new transactions, with refinances, but also busy on the HUD side with, you know, general HUD refinances. Then obviously COVID happened. I think it took, I don't know if you guys experienced this as well on your side of things, but I think it took, I would say that's two months for everyone, both on the client side and on the bank side to kind of figure out like what's happening over here. How do we, how do we deal with this? Obviously, many of the deals that we were working on, new acquisitions were put on hold right away, which, which makes sense because, you know, most of my clients own portfolios outside of their new deals and they needed to figure out, you know, how to manage the crisis that they were going through. Um, and at the same time, lenders also, I don't think that lenders officially said pause because we were closing deals throughout that crisis in March and April and in May, but the majority of those deals were well on their way before COVID happened. And obviously, you know, COVID really didn't disrupt the operations in those particular deals. Uh, and a lot of lenders kind of said, let's see where things fall out. Let's see how things, you know, let's see what happens. But, you know, thank God, what I would say is that, you know, the government really stepped up for our operators. I don't know if you're saying the same thing, but they really helped them out with very, very necessary stimulus and PPP money for those that were eligible for it. And I think that obviously they're in the census building stage now for the facility. Everybody had a census. You know, everybody's census is hurting. Uh, I would say, regardless of where you are, but uh, people are building back now. I, I'm hearing from my clients, and lenders are certainly back to where, not to where they were before, but they're back to lending money, put it that way. They're not paused anymore. That's for sure. Um, you know, there are different things to look at, obviously, now when you're underwriting a deal. Uh, and we help the underwriting both on the HUD side, but even on the Bridge side. Obviously, we do our own underwriting before we're going to present to a lender. And, uh, you know, number of COVID cases and COVID precautions and, and stuff like that are, are certainly important for lenders to look at. And, and we're looking at them as well. But we're happy to see that many lenders are sending term sheets. We're signing up deals. Thank God, I would say over the past month. So new originated deals you're seeing in the past 30 days, let's say. Definitely. Okay. And when you're... And there are fewer... I'm sorry. Yeah. There are fewer, like, you know, I think people were expecting these major distress deals to happen and to people to be selling out of desperation or bankruptcy or whatever you're calling it. We're not really seeing that yet. We're seeing that obviously operators, like I said, it took a census hit, but they have enough en- enough to keep them going. And they're seeing that improvement, which, which was, that was the intention of those programs. Yeah. And so let me, I guess, drill down more into the origination side. So as you start to look at underwriting new deals, um, what are some of the things that the lenders are requiring when you're underwriting uh, today that they may not have required? Are they looking at, for example, are they looking at a semi-private um, skilled nursing facility as a higher risk asset than uh, a, a private room facility, for example? That's a very good point. So HUD, it's funny, HUD was always very sensitive about that. Um, they don't like facilities, skilled nursing facilities in particular, that have triple and you know quad war type rooms. HUD never loved that. Obviously, we do them. We do those deals. But if the whole facility was filled with four-bedded four bedded rooms, HUD would pause for a second on that. Um, 
And we're, we're seeing lenders bring it up. I wouldn't say that lenders are saying, no, we're not going to be doing facilities that have double occupancy or triple occupancy. I think that they're going to be more concerned about what, what are your infectious disease control, you know, what, what's in place. You have somebody that's in charge of controlling the spread of diseases rather than just saying no to those types of facilities. Got it. Now, other things that other things that lenders are more focused on now, for sure, is obviously they're only going to be lending in this environment to a more experienced operator that's seasoned, that's been around. You know, the first time guy that's buying his first building will likely have to partner with somebody else who has more experience in order to get that deal done. And and what about rates? So the seasoned veteran that's been with the same lender for years have the rates changed with that same person or even somebody that you said might have to partner with somebody else? Are you considering it with a higher rate? So it's funny. HUD rates are actually at their all-time low right now. And bridge rates, which are very often floating off of LIBOR, are also, LIBOR is very, very low now. Spreads have increased a little bit, you know, the spreads over LIBOR, but not really when you're adding the you know, LIBOR to the spread, it's kind of where it was pre-COVID at this point. We're not seeing lenders pricing in that risk. What we're seeing more of is if a lender deems this as a very risky deal for whatever reason, either because the building has very low occupancy or because they don't feel the, op- the operator is experienced enough, they just won't do the deal rather than pricing another 25 basis points in there. Right, which is no change from what it was before, Right. Right. So you're, you've mentioned HUD a lot. Let's talk about um, maybe non-recourse loans. Um, I know that that was a big selling point pre-COVID. Are you seeing more loans come down as having some level of recourse assigned to them? So obviously on the HUD side, that hasn't changed. HUD loans are non-recourse and they're still non-recourse. Right. That hasn't changed. On the, on the bridge side, we are seeing the changes that we're seeing are not on pricing. We're seeing certain lenders requiring more recourse because risk has gone up. They want you know, their borrowers to be standing behind those loans. And we're also seeing in some situations, leverage going down a little bit. They wanna see a little bit more skin in the game. But it, it hasn't been so significant on the leverage side, I would say. On the recourse side, I think that to get a non-recourse bridge loan in this environment is possible, but challenging. So walk us through an example. So if I'm buying a $10 million building, what did that look like? three months ago, and what does that look like going forward? Again, assume I'm a seasoned veteran, I have all of the same relationships. What does that look like from a leverage and recourse perspective? So the first question I would ask you, if you let's say you were a client calling me, you have a $10 million deal, you're an experienced guy. So the question is, what are you more sensitive to? Are you more sensitive to pricing or are you more sensitive to recourse? Um, th- that's the first question. Because if you're doing a bank deal now with a depository bank, that's most likely, with certain exceptions, most likely going to be between 50% and 100% recourse. So if you're someone who doesn't want to sign 100% recourse or 75% recourse, you're probably not going to be doing a bank deal. Now, bank deals are obviously have the cheapest pricing. So we just, we're, we're closing a deal, God willing, actually today um, with you know, very aggressive pricing at, at, at you know, regular 80% leverage. Um, but if you, if, you, if you would tell me, hey, Neil, I'm not going to sign 100% recourse on a deal right now. In this environment, I'm too nervous. So I likely, we likely would go to a Finco instead, uh, instead of a bank. Now, what's the, the irony is that Fincos provide more leverage than banks do. So, you know, Fincos right now are providing leverage anywhere between 80% and 90, 
So for our example, let's say 85%, you'll get 85% leverage and your pricing will be anywhere between, let's say four and a quarter over LIBOR to six over LIBOR, whereas bank pricing would be anywhere between three over LIBOR and four over LIBOR. So you're, you're definitely paying for that ever extra leverage and uh, the reduced recourse. So you talked a little bit about, um, you know, you're, you're, you're really not seeing some of the risk assigned in, into some of these uh, loans yet. Uh, do you see that actually adjusting as we go forward? Or is this kind of a short-term benefit that some investors can take advantage in this little short window? Or, or will that be changing going forward? What are you seeing? So I don't, just to be clear, what we're not seeing is pricing changing really. We are seeing risk becoming a factor because yes, recourse is higher than it was before. And also leverage might be slightly lower. You know, the same lender that was giving you 90% loan to cost might now only feel comfortable giving you 85% loan to cost, you know, or 85 to 80, that type of thing. Um, going forward, I don't, I don't know if I see, again, I don't know if I see that 25 to 50 basis point spread increase so much just because maybe the spread will increase, but LIBOR is so low that your all-in rate's gonna, gonna be the same, I think, for the deals that get done and for the deals that uh, lenders are interested in. I also think that a lot of the operators are doing a phenomenal job of mitigating a lot of the risks that they're seeing on the front lines right now. Unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of stories out there and it's just constant negativity, um, but that's just what you see on the, 630 national news but i think if you dig down and call up these operators and and talk to the ceos of what they're actually doing on the front lines and i'm sure once you dig in and start doing some of the underwriting you're seeing a lot of these operators really mitigate uh, from a safety perspective uh their facilities well i'm i'm looking at the financial statements and i'm seeing a lot of money being spent on ppe which is good yeah. that's a good thing you know and we can underwrite to that and we can add that back and it's a one-time expense, but I'm, I'm, I feel very comfortable that it's there, you know? Right. And I'm, I'm, glad that you, I'm glad that you brought that up as well because um, I speak to a lot of lenders and lender, lenders would be you know, nervous in this situation because they're, they have a lot of money out on these portfolios, you know? And if, there were some, if they would send something wrong, they'd be very, very nervous about it. And a lot of the lenders that I've been speaking to over the past two, three, four weeks, are very, very, very complimentary of their clients and their operators. That they, I mean, they, they were presented with a crazy problem that hasn't come up, you know, in the past hundred years. And they, they, they felt that for the most part, they dealt with it really, really well. And, you know, similar to what you're saying that, you know, on the news, it's easy to sensationalize and to bring things up and to point fingers. But for the most part, they were presented with a crazy issue that the vast, vast, vast majority of my clients dealt with really, really well. Yeah, and I think a lot of the untold story actually comes down to the state associations because you've taken, uh, you know, essentially you and your competitor right next door used to kind of battle it out and try to fight for occupancy. We're seeing a lot of those scenarios where the association is bringing everyone together, um, and that doesn't really matter what state you're in. I think most of the state associations are doing a phenomenal job of of bringing everyone together and saying, hey, these are best practices and we need to learn from these, you know, five operators who are doing things right. And, and those operators are going out and teaching all of their other competitors best practices and safety measures going forward. And I think that has a lot of value and it should hold a lot of value and somewhat de-risk 
you know, these lenders and these, some of these loans as well. That's interesting. I, I, I didn't have that perspective from the association level. It's something that I definitely will bring up with my clients because I'm curious to hear that. But I, I am seeing collaboration and, you know, people helping each other, really. Uh, and whether it was when, when it was difficult to get PPE, now it's much easier to get PPE. But in, in general, we saw a lot of our clients just being available for one another, even though, like you said, normally they're competitors. Yeah, and that that does remind me of another point. We're we're working with several states who have done a great job in working with their state in asking for increases in Medicaid reimbursement. And I think a lot of states are doing a great job and and we're seeing some of these stipends roll across state by state. How are you guys looking at some of these benefits? Are are you kind of treating these as a a wash in some cases or are you looking at it as um you know, de-risking some of the portfolio? Because I, I think in some cases it's it's a short-term thing or it's an unknown how long they're going to be receiving some of these stipends. It's kind of like UPL in some states. You're yeah. not sure how long it's going to last. That's right. You take it while you can. Exactly, yeah. So the, the approach that we're taking, there's really two different approaches to take. So, you know, let, let's you're looking at a T12 PNL, right? So through February or March, for the most part, people were fine. And then obviously people took a dip in April, May, June in occupancy and increased expenses. So really there's two ways to look at it. Either you could include those extra stimulus money and the, the extra rate increase that some states gave that were, which was great and helped operators tremendously. And those months then look fine. You know, the, the way that the, the case that, that I would make is if you're going to penalize somebody for their increased costs and their decreased occupancy, then you should also give them credit for the stimulus that came to mitigate those issues. You know you're, what I mean? You're going to get now, a lot the, of phone the other calls. Thing to do, you're going to get a lot of phone calls, Neil, giving them credit <laughs> for that. The, the, well, the, or the other thing to do, to do is really add everything back, kind of, you know, whether yeah. it's adding the increased costs back and adding that additional revenue back. And the other, the other case to be made, and this really depends on which state you're in, but for example, um, there are certain states on the East Coast and not Southeast, because right now Southeast, unfortunately, is, it's being hit pretty hard. But, uh, you know, somewhere, so, somewhere on the East, it's not South-South. Um, we have operators that are already building their census back at this point. So the case would be made just, okay, so just don't include, you know, April, May, and June in your T12. You could have a T12 through March, and then let's, let's resume July, August, assuming, the, assuming occupancy is back to a relatively normal place. That, that would be the other option over there. Yeah, and then on top of that, though, you you have the the media right now that's not painting the best light for the industry. So what's to say that could cause a decreased demand, even on the need side, on the skilled side? Um, you know, people could be shifting more towards a home health care model. Um, I, I, how are you looking at that moving forward in terms of future demand? And how that's going to affect. So I really, people haven't really brought that up. And when I say people, I mean lenders who I'm in touch with. Um, there were some lenders that were like, oh, hey, on the private, on the private pay AL side, you know, surely right. private pay, high-end AL, is there going to be demand for that going forward? Either because if there's an economic downturn, people can't afford that. Or if just in general, I don't feel comfortable putting my, you know, my loved one in a facility. I'd rather just keep them at home. That, that's, that's a point to be made. But on the skill side, T12 
people are pretty bullish on, on, on skilled demand going forward. I think that we've learned that home healthcare, people were talking about this, I remember, like four years ago, people were like, oh my God, home healthcare is going to kill the skilled nursing space. It didn't. And, and perhaps home healthcare could be a little bit of a replacement um, you know, in the beginning of the aging process when they're a little bit, you know, when they need a little bit of help. But for a real acute care facility, which is what we're seeing our clients providing these days, the level, the level of care and the level of acuity that they're, they're dealing with is higher than it's ever been. I, we don't see that going away, I mean, personally. Yeah. What about? What I don't about, know if you feel the same way. Do you, no, do you feel differently about that? I agree. It's just the, the, you know, we hear from these operators how bad the media is painting this picture, but in all actuality, the, the, the operators that have the right precautions in place are doing the right things. Um, it really hasn't Correct. affected much. I also think and, some of the operators are doing some things to offset some of that risk. So yeah. if there is, um, you know, mom or grandma goes in for hip surgery, uh, the daughter is concerned about her going into a nursing home for 30 days for short-term rehab. I think that some of these operators are doing a great job of just implementing technology where the least amount of touches, the better. So you have some telehealth that are coming in, some monitors that are being hooked up to some of these patients that I think will reduce the number of touches and the number of touch well, and, points. And even therapy within your own room, so they're yeah. not leaving their... Yeah, so there's a lot of different factors that come into play there. Um, Neil, what about what about your workload through all of this? Has has the demand for lending increased, decreased, stayed the same? What what's your workload like? So it's, so it's interesting, and I would say that the first that first month and a half, when every when it was mayhem, and I wasn't calling clients to ask them, oh hey, do you have any new deals? Because they were in the middle of putting out fires, at, literally, you know, at but, their facilities. But, but so, Neil, but Neil does deals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I had I had to deal with that uh, with, with that. But um, and now, uh, thank God, I would say over the past month and a half, things picked up tremendously. I mean, on the HUD side, we've been very very busy throughout, actually, because yeah. rates are at, a, at really 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 low. So people wanted to take advantage of that. But on the on the bridge side, over the past month and a half, two months, things really picked up. And there are, there's a number of new transactions that we're working on. Thank God. How about you guys? Yeah, I, I think your timing is, is really aligned with our timing. We saw a short-term pause, but we've really started to see things pick up as of late. And more, you know, we expected a lot of sellers to come out of this and be ready to just kind of throw their arms up and say, okay, we're done. Um, we're not really seeing too much of that. And you alluded to that earlier. We're not seeing the fire sales like some people had predicted. We're seeing more buy side demand than um, we thought we would at this point. Yeah, it was a seller's market before, and I think it still is. I would agree with that. And I think that's good. I think that if there's tons of distressed facilities and, and you know, these bankruptcy sales, I, you know, that, 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 that creates instability. I think that it's, it's definitely more stable than I thought it would be. That's for sure. Well, hey, before we wrap up, I do have a question, and that's more along the lines of I like, uh, you know, I was asked this the other day, and I think I'd like to ask you as well is what, when you get calls during the day or emails, what's the biggest concern that people have right now when they're talking to you? I thought you were going to have a joke. Uh, no, I, no. Yeah, I thought you were setting up a joke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I, yeah. um, what is the biggest concern that people have? Um, execution right now. 
And that's just because that's my perspective of it. You're, you're going to want to do a deal with a lender that's going to execute and then close on your deal. And in these times when there's a lot going on, uh, you want to deal with a lender that's, that, 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 that has a track record and will get the deal done. Uh, you know, similar to what you alluded to with, you know, the press and, and all that. Um, when you're dealing with a lender, uh, sometimes it's a large institution and there can be people at that institution that aren't as educated when it comes to healthcare. And if they're reading some big sensational story about the, how the future of healthcare is horrible, then it's going to give them pause. So you're going to want to be dealing with a lender that has been around, that knows healthcare, that knows the space well, understands that there are ups and downs. That's, that's very important in my opinion. And, and, and clients also, you know, for, for, for 10 basis points, they're not going with a lender that's not reliable. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, Neil, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, um, how do people, how can people get in touch with you? So, uh, you can email me at ngams at hhcfinance.com. Uh, and, and I don't know if you're going to have a, any, uh, sorry? sorry, ngams. We'll put that in the show notes, but two S's, right? Two S's. Yes. Okay. One M, two S's. I okay. don't know why. <laughs> that's how we spell it. <laughs> and then, uh, or they could call me uh, at 347-525-3663, which is my cell phone and my work phone. Uh, it's one and I'm reachable. I try to be reachable always. So. <laughs> Great. We will have that in the show notes for anyone to get in touch with you or follow up with any questions. Neil, thanks okay, so much. Well, thank for you being so much. This is fun. And thank you for, uh, for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Today, I want to talk about a skilled nursing facility that's available for sale in the Southeast. For those of you who like your sweet tea, you can head down to North Carolina. This opportunity is available in rural North Carolina. There are 60 plus beds available in this facility, and it's sitting at about a break-even EBITDA. If you have any interest in this skilled nursing facility, you can contact me directly at brandon at senwelladvisors.com. That's Brandon at SenwellAdvisors.com. Thank you for listening to the Investment Opportunity Podcast. If you want to hear more about investing in the skilled nursing and seniors housing industry, head to our website at www.SenwellAdvisors.com slash podcast.